0: Mr. Horseshare.
1: Mr. Kijiani, how are you?
0: Very well, thank you. How are you? Are you better than last week?
1: I am. I'm uh, I'm very good. Thank you very much. And uh, and thanks for, for joining me on another edition of Man in the Stand, uh, <laughs> ably supported by Starsports Bet, uh gentleman's bookmaker, www.starsportsbet.co.uk dot uk for some great prices and some great uh, some great offers. Uh, just quickly before we, uh, as you being the political analyst, it was interesting when we talked last week, you were saying you had received a mountain of money on P- uh, Trump not getting impeached. <laughs> oh, um, where are you, Where is all that now? Where Can you give me an update? I'm really interested uh, on where you are at Star Sports with that now.
0: Um, same situation. Uh, everybody's backed Trump not to be impeached. I think the signifying votes about whether it was unconstitutional or not, in which more than enough Republican senators voted a uh, Um, against the motion being constitutional to um, basically give Trump an out um, suggested that they weren't going to turn and impeach him I think the timing has had a lot to do with it Um, yes the capital riot did occur and I I don't think really there's any doubt that they did it because of Trump and that they did it um, with what they felt was tactile encouragement from him but Joe Biden is president now, and that takes away a lot of the urge, I think, for any wavering senators to do so. I mean, we were last 28 to one about Trump being impeached. For what it's worth, I still think those also probably too big, but um, I don't really see it. Um, so I think that's going to be a bit of a kick for us. Mm,
1: I think so, because I think you're going to have to get a lot of Republicans to flip, and um, I, I don't see that happening really?
0: Yeah, to be honest with you, neither do I. Um, I mean, the interesting thing, really, will be down the line, sort of in a year or two, um, y- you know, what do people think about Trump? What does the Republican Party think about Trump? Because at the moment, he's still the most popular figure in it. If that's the case in two years' <clears throat> time, you've got a problem, mister, um, mm. if you're in the Republican Party, um, as to which way you go. Because, and and we have to remember this, for all that um, Trump had a grip on the Republican Party it never really translated that much um, to non-Republican Party voters and he is less popular with the Republican Party than he used to be it's still a really high amount many would say we high, I'm not going to get into it or, or on this podcast, but mm. um, that is a really crucial barometer for what happens in the next two um, years of American politics
1: yeah, I think personally, my feeling is just let the guy sail off onto the sunset. Let him go to his golf courses in Florida. Let him, you know, be a legend in his own mind, and uh, and let him just sail away. Uh, 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 to me, that seems like the logical thing to do. Uh, move on, and um, but you know, let's go, let's move on to something more interesting than that. Though, let's uh, let's touch talking about sport, mm. uh, and uh, let's start with the NFL. Since we are in America, let's yep. start um, with the Super Bowl. Um, I Last week, I picked, well, the two weeks previous, I would picked the Packers to beat the Buccaneers because I just thought Aaron Rodgers and the Packers were too good, and I got turned over on that one. This week, I picked the Chiefs to turn over the Buccaneers because I just thought Mahomes was going to be too good. And I got proved wrong again. I, uh, I was absolutely stunned by Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. What about you?
0: I was stunned by the margin of their victory. And I was stunned by the dominance with which they did it. Um, Me too. I, I was stunned more than anything by the fact that, that half-time the game didn't feel like it was a contest. And you're talking about a Kansas City Chiefs side that has overcome double-digit deficits, I think, four times in playoff games in the last 18 months, and yet when Gronkowski got his second touchdown, it felt over. It just didn't feel like they were going to mount any sort of a challenge, despite the fact that Patrick Mahomes did very well um, to give a couple of moments which could have sparked a comeback.
1: I agree. I I thought it was the same at halftime. I thought, this game's game's over. I can't believe it, but this game's over. Mm. Uh, And uh, you have to give massive credit to that Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. What a, uh, a performance they put up. They never gave Mahomes an inch. They just hassled and harried that guy every single second of the time that he, any time the ball was in his hands, hit someone from Buccaneers was, was closing in on him or all over him. And they just ran through the, the Kansas City um, offensive front line uh, like a knife through butter and made Mahones' life a misery. Uh, So, uh, I mean, as much and as incredible as Tom Brady is and and the performance he put out, the way he, as you say, worked with Gronkowski uh, and and the way he worked with his running backs, it was a masterclass. The guys, um, he's running, I'm running out of superlatives for Tom Brady, but the defence must be acknowledged as well. They just made Patrick Holmes' life a misery.
0: Yep, um, absolutely they did. I think he'd never been sacked that many times. He'd never been pressured that many times. Um, I think there's a lot to be said um, in the post-war term for the Chiefs' um, defensive line and some of the decisions that they made. And I'm saying this as somebody who wouldn't be a sort of bona fide expert, even on the NFL, but at the end of the day, um, there was a complete team performance. And one team really turned up and the other really didn't.
1: Yeah, and uh, and as I said a few a week, a couple, last week I think a week before, I, I watched that Buccaneers team um, a couple of months earlier against the New Orleans Saints get absolutely destroyed. So the way that they've turned that season around, come through the playoffs, beaten all the form teams, and won by as you say a comfortable margin. At the end, it was thirty-one to nine, and the Buccaneers deserved NFL champions. Um, Fournette and Gronkowski for me were the stars, uh, and uh, you know obviously. Um, Tom Brady as well. So, not much else to say about that. I think the NFL uh, and the Super Bowl was, uh, you know, as I say, this, you, you said the other week, the favourite time of year for you is in the playoffs, and I agree. Um, and I think, you know, uh, Buccaneers, will they keep Brady and play another year? Of course, I think he'll go another year. And I think I'm going to say that next year is Tom Brady's last year. That's my call. Um, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I could absolutely see it. Um, I mean, at seven Super Bowl rings, I don't really know what more you have to prove to anyone. You know, it's not as if he's got... I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't have the motivation to win. Obviously, he does. And it's an incredible feat he's achieved. But one sort of does wonder how much longer this will go on. I mean, I I think he'll give it a very good go um, to retain his crown. Yeah. um, Definitely. And I wouldn't want to be... Too heavily start against the Buccaneers next year um, in the NFL. But I do think next year might be an ideal jumping-off point.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to uh, a totally different sport, uh, the clickets. Uh <laughs> India uh, versus England in India. So India coming off a fresh uh, series win against Australia in their own backyard. Um receive uh, England at home in their own conditions, and you think, well, this is going to be, as we said the other week, uh, William, tough for England, but they're in a a form team. So two teams in form, uh, and what a test. Uh, I'll I'll go through the the, the stats at the start. England, first innings, 578, uh, a a double century for Joe Root, an incredible double century. Uh, India uh, responded with a pretty, pretty plucky... Uh, 377 i think uh earlier on was it, you you were doubting they'd even get that close but they um, had a, a good rear-ride action and got through to 377 um, england responded in uh, second innings uh with uh, 178 which was uh, a bit of a uh, a bit of a collapse uh, and uh, left uh, in, uh left india with um 300 I think 390 runs or something to to uh, to win, and they could only manage 192 in the final innings after Jack Leach uh, ripped through them at four for 76, aided uh, ably by James Anderson, who also tore through the heart of India for three for 17 off 11. So uh, a resounding uh, win to England by the in the end by 227 runs. Um, what did you think of it, William?
0: I thought it was a magnificent display from one of the, and I think actually this might not be a depreciated enough fact, best England sides we'd like to see, possibly in all formats. We have a team that has won a 2020 World Cup, um, that has won or the one-day International World Cup, and that has, um, for all their various fortunes, been picked on enough... Um, beaten India in India um, not just now but also as a Test Series win and that is going to be number one in the world again I I, I thought it was all of the best things about the England cricket team Um, we're going to talk lots more about James Anderson um, or Jimmy Anderson whatever you want to call him Um, but that over um, that he bowled was absolutely magnificent and I I encourage people to go back and watch it Um, the reverse swing sorcery um that he used to get rid of Shubman Gill um because it almost looked like absolute magic. Um and the way that he then managed to pull the tricks again um yeah. to beat Rahane uh with with an LBW shadow it looked plum when I was watching it admittedly really early in the morning it looked plumb um but then to just absolutely bolt him through the gate. Um was just stunning I think it really happens home the fact that England under various coaches I, I think Trevor Bayliss deserves credit I think Chris Hill deserves plenty too have become a real proper all-rounder side one that like every team in the world is suited by playing at home but one that absolutely now can go to the driest and deadest of pitches and, and have a chance And I, I think whilst Anderson will get all the plaudits. Jack Leach and Don Best deserve a huge amount of credit too. Um, Leach was lethal in the second innings after he'd been tonked here, there and everywhere by Pant. Um, Best has only had a handful of tests, but he's growing into his role. He really, really, really is. Um, and whatever they're doing, it just works. It, it's just worked. You know, um, won the series against the West Indies, won the series against Pakistan, went and beat Sri Lanka twice. And um, now they've beaten India in India. Um, There's a long way to go in the series, but English cricket and everybody in it should be really proud.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good summation, William. I think they should be really proud. And and as you say, maybe it's being overlooked. Uh, you, you said a couple of weeks ago, perhaps Joe Root has been underestimated Uh, as a batsman for England in terms of just the the legacy and the mark that he will leave on this English team. And I think it's really timely that you said that because he'd come off, you know, uh, two 100s in a row or two centuries in a row um, to score a double century in this 100th test. Um, That is some going. And and I think it was prevalent what you said because uh, he's now, I think, he really is now uh, up there with the greats um, of, of English and world cricket. And he's a still a young man. I thought it was really interesting. Someone said on Twitter the other day, he looks like something out of a, uh, you see on a on a 1920s um, cigarette card or ad- advertisement, which I thought was really funny because he does kind of look that way. He looks kind of old school, Joe Root. There's nothing kind of glamorous about him. He's just a a, a, a kind of a real cut in the wool um, just a, a, a just a real sport, a real old style cricketer, and he looks fantastic. And the way he plays, he's just so rugged and dour. And uh, yeah, he is. Um, you know, now I think cemented in, in, in the greats of English cricket, uh, and and still got some to go. And I think it's interesting, as you say, they now tell me if I'm wrong, if they win this next test, uh, they're coming up against India. Does that put them... That usurts them over New Zealand and puts them to number one
0: team in the world in Test cricket? I believe that opportunity is on the table, but they would need a comprehensive series win, I think, 3-1 or Um, 3-0. Whatever happens, I think it's fairly likely... um, Well, actually, I don't know if it's fairly likely. I should have to retract that um, because the situation is fairly complicated. But but, um, they... Have a chance now at facing New Zealand at Lords in the Test Cricket Championship next summer. And yeah. if a man can dream on a man in the stand, <laughs> what a yeah. occasion that would be. What,
1: well, wouldn't that be
0: great? Yeah. I would love if that
1: happens, William, and you and I can actually, and maybe uh, as part of a, some sort of promotion that we do, perhaps uh, we can maybe talk to our friends at Star Sports and maybe we can, uh, you and I and maybe a couple of um, guests could actually watch that final, New Zealand versus England, the World Test Championship final at Lords. Wouldn't that be something? It would be incredible.
0: I mean, I should should add that um, Test cricket has come under a lot of fire in recent years, but we have a glut of really talented teams, really talented players, really good coaches, and really special moments. There were three incredible Test matches last week. Um, The West Indies went in Bangladesh, chasing down a Massive total. Um, also, yeah. Well, do you? Do you
1: I, I noticed on Twitter you, there, there was something you, you you alluded that there was some sort of um, crack made by someone about the um, lack of coverage that it was given. Oh my and god! I, 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 we can't
0: bring can't bring that up here because that was just something mad I saw on Twitter, um, which I sort of felt yeah. compelled to share because it was such a. A jaw drop, dropping post, but um, if you can, yeah, um, and you're listening to this, do check out the highlights of both um, the West Indies' free wicket win over Bangladesh, um, when they chased yeah. down a 395 run target, and also Pakistan's win over South Africa, um, in the Pindi cricket stadium. Um, just some really great performances. We're lucky in Test cricket, we are, we have, um really good sides and really good players. You're seeing many of the best bowlers I think you might ever see right now. Yes, Anderson, but also Broad. Um, Cummins, Lion, um, Cummins, Hazelwood and Stark, I think, are three of the best bowlers um, Australia have produced in a long time. I'd argue they'd get into pretty much any test side in the world you put them in. You see a Shah um, over in Pakistan is performing magic with the ball. Um, you have a West Indies side, that's rejuvenated life into their performances in that side of the game as well um it's a great time to be a test cricket fan and long may that continue and long may that format be supported
1: i i I couldn't agree with you more i i've always loved test cricket that's always been the game for me ever since i was a boy i just I, i i've knit the 2020 thing for me i I just, it's just, it's like they used to say years ago, just blokes in pyjamas, it's hit and giggle. Uh, and it, to me, I, I will—I I don't even watch 2020, to be honest. Um, 50 overs I watch. I like a one-day international. I, I love a good 50-over match um, and and test matches. I'll always love test match cricket. But here's, what, I'm going to put something to you. Do you think that the evolution of the game in the in the limited-over formats... Has has kind of changed the nature of Test cricket because I f- think it has. I, I think it, that that that's it's, it's slightly made the more of a m- attacking mindset in Test cricket where these run chasers are now being viewed as possible and and they go for them and and they occasionally get them. I think it's made the while I. I, I would never you know I'd never say that it's um you know uh, better than test cricket limited overs because I don't think it is but I do think it's it's given the disciplines that those games have uh and those test cricketers uh, I do think it's given them more of a mindset of we could possibly get this if we there's more of an attacking mindset over the five days what what do you th- what uh, do you agree or disagree?
0: I actually think it's a really interesting point. I don't have, I love having data to sort of back up these assertions, um, and I'd love to refer to Crickviz or something like that. My feeling, my gut feeling is that you may be right um, in the sense that we are seeing sort of more attacking shots uh, and more attacking styles of play and more attacking fields now since the invention of 2020. Uh, I mean, we're definitely seeing as an example, like some spin sweeps, right? that you wouldn't have seen 10 or 20 years ago. I know Kevin Peterson was around, uh, and we've had great players to spin, but I do agree with you that we're seeing slightly more aggressive um, cricket, which I think is helpful. And and listen, innovation is good in general, in most sports. um, In most situations, innovation drives things forward. Um, So if forms again can help each other go forward, more than happy to see it.
1: Yeah, I, I just think that in some of those situations we've seen in these games over the last let's just say the last three or four months uh, where there's been situations where there's been a big run total to get on the last day um, in the past and when I was growing up in the 80s and, uh, and, and, and and as old slightly older in the 90s I would watch these guys battered out. And, and, and hold on for the draw. These days, that is the last option that they seem to want to take. They want to, It's death or glory. They'll go for it. They'll at least have a charge at it. And if they don't get there, they'll know you know, halfway through the day and then they might shut up shop and, and, and secure the draw. But they'll give it a bloody good go to see if they can get there. And I love that because sometimes, in the, and we've seen that now, India against Australia. Uh, uh, we've seen, as you say, South Africa, Pakistan, West Indies chasing down that massive total against Bangladesh. Who the Bangladesh um, bowling attack? They're no mugs. That that that's an amazing uh, achievement, and I just think that's in a more attacking mindset, and it's great for the game. I think it's great for Test cricket, and and I and long may as you say, long may it continue. Um, okay, let's move on now to Six Nations rugby. Um, wow, that was all I can mm. say. What? weekend, especially one game. Um, So let's start off on the the first game of the week, um, France versus Italy. Now, earlier on in the week, I was very, very uh, honoured to be joined by um, uh, Jordan Murphy, uh, ex-Irish international fullback and uh, 16-season veteran for Leicester Tigers. uh, And we had a run-through of the the teams and the, and the sort of the chances and the players to watch out for in the Six Nations, and he um, noted a guy, uh, the halfback uh, for France called Dupont, who I'd heard of but not seen much of. Um, wow, what a what a player this guy is! Um, he was uh, Ronan Ogara um, and now and Jordy Murphy both identified him as possibly one of the most um, exciting players in world rugby right now. And he and the French team showed that this this French team. They are something special it's lovely to see a French team like this again where they're not just trying to smash it up the middle uh, rugby league style they're, they're they're full of attack and verve on and uh, and joie de vivre as they say on the outside backs um, they're exciting to watch and uh, and they blew Italy off the park 50 points to 10 um,
0: let's uh, shall we move do you
1: want to, have to say anything about that or should we move on to the other game?
0: Um, Just very quickly, I think there's a realistic case to be made that Antoine Dupont's the world's best rugby player right now. Um, Yeah. I can't think of a scrum half in better form. I can't think of a more creative player. I can't think of a more innovative player. Um, And they were a joy to watch. I think with Italy as well, it's worth maybe putting out the word to people that they're a team that is very much going through transition. Um, there was no more than I think eight caps um, in the back line, not as a total, but no more than no player had any more than eight caps. Um, I also think that it's worth sticking with them um, to see what they can produce, uh, particularly now that they've got Stephen Varney at Scrum Half, who was a real live wire. Um, But France were too powerful, too strong, too well coached and too good. Um, And, Frankly, looking forward to seeing what happens when they come up against the other nations in the tournament. Mm. I'm, um, I put the, I have a bit of a different
1: opinion to you about Italy. I think that as an experiment, not an experiment, as an exercise in the Six Nations, I think Italy are a busted flush. I think they have been for a while. I think, um, and the reason I and I put this to Jordan Murphy on my show the last week because I was. I feel quite relatively strongly about this because I've watched Argentina um, join the Rugby Championship. We used to be the Tri-Nations, South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand. And I watched Argentina join that, uh, I think it was four years ago, five years ago now. And they, you know, everyone thought, these guys are going to get tonked. And they did for the first couple of years. But they caught on. They worked it out. They worked hard, and they the first game I ever saw them beat South Africa in South Africa, um, as I say, was about four or five years ago. And I thought, okay, that's a big achievement to go to South Africa's backyard and beat them there. And then they beat Australia, and now this last season uh, in the Rugby Championship, uh, late last year, they beat mm. New Zealand. Um, now that. Oh, and I think Argentina, you have to look at them for the next Rugby World Cup as a serious chance for the next Rugby World Cup. Now, Italy have had t- three times as long, t- t- two or three times as long in the Six Nations Championship. They are they they are twenty seven now. Now it was twenty seven games last week. Uh, uh, they haven't won the game in the Six Nations. It's now twenty eight games that they have not won a game in the Six Nations Championship, and I just think that. If you put Georgia in the same competition now, I don't think that they would be getting hammered by any much more than what Italy are, and I just think if you compare Italy against Argentina, two Latin countries, two um, uh, you know two easy beats in the competition. One is now no longer an easy beat. One is still an easy beat.
0: Yeah, I, I listen. I understand. Um... I understand that. I understand the sort of point of view where you're coming from. Um, But I think it's worth knowing a couple of things. First of all, there were decades, um, or there were years in the last decade where Italy were much more competitive. Um, I'm thinking of 2013, I'm thinking of 2014. They have managed to beat France, they have managed to give England um, France. they have managed to beat Ireland. um, Also, albeit at home. And, um, also, you know, we're talking about this, but um, the issue one might say would be um, what would Georgia do? Even if your issue isn't what would Georgia do differently, um, it's what would they bring to the table if they don't. I agree that it'd be nice to have Georgia play more Tier 1 nations. Um, I think that'd be really good. I think it would be really healthy. Um but I think we've got to be a bit careful. I mean, first of all, one thing I'd say is that if you if we want to get Georgia into the Six Nations, um, can we develop the club rugby there a bit more? Um, you know, mm. Benetton Treviso were quarter finalists in the Pro 12 or the Pro sorry, the Pro 16 season before last. Um, Zebra have won games against other pro 14 sides now. Um, could we look at that? Maybe I mean a lot of Georgian players playing in the top fourteen. Um, I am not trying to dampen down um, anything to do with Georgian rugby. Uh, you know, I want to see rugby grow in that way. But I think people who want to take us the out of the Six Nations might just be going a bit a bit harder. I mean, you know, if you want to see Georgia play more Tier One nations, let's just have Georgia play more Tier One nations. You know. Um,
1: yep, no, I think that, yeah, I think you raise a valid point. I'm being a bit provocative, um, uh, by saying, um, uh, I'm not saying pull Italy out, I'm just saying these guys have, uh, and I actually, you make very valid points about their, um, about their club rugby, they they have got a, a, a decent club rugby base. I just want, I want to see Italy compete more. I, I want, I don't want to see these guys just get smashed. Um, For five more games in this, uh, or four more games in this championship, I just don't want to see that. Uh, And and I know that they, of course, they don't want either. But I, I just expected more development from Italy over the last few years. And they were, as you say, a bit of a sterner. Maybe they are going through transition. They were a sterner proposition than what they are what they seem to be now. Uh, But I would have thought after all of the time and money and and coaching and enterprise pumped into these guys that they would be that a bit more further down the road than what they seem to be. They seem to be for me stuck in about third gear and they and they can't they they don't seem to be able to, to get any better as a rugby and playing nation. And I I don't, and I and I to be honestly, I think it's because rugby is still not that well held and they in a, a football mad country. Of course that's never gonna change because if they're a football man nation, but I just, like so Argentina and 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 look at Argentina. They are they are a, a serious proposition now for anybody. I, I I put to you that Argentina could come to that Six Nations Championship and beat every team. Uh, uh, you know. So anyway, I'm just, as I say. Let, let's uh, let's just leave it there. I I'm, I'm just um, as I say, I'm just steering the pot a little bit, but I do think Italy you know let's let's watch them in the, over the rest of the competition um england versus scotland uh the calcutta cup uh, at twickenham it had been 38 years since england uh sorry since scotland had beaten england in england uh on their home on their home patch and they secured a famous victory 11 points to six over england uh what's your did you see it and what did I you did think see of it, it William?
0: and um if england don't um, improve quickly it'll be 38 years before they beat Scotland again um, it was a really really impressive performance by Scotland I think we, we talk a lot about when we talk about Scotland in rugby nowadays Um, their backs and it's worth doing so because Finn Russell is brilliant and Cameron Redpath was sensational on his debut we know all about what Stuart Hogg can do um Sean Mainland goes underrated. Duhan van der Merwer also I think had a brilliant game. Um, he, was oh, he was
1: good, wasn't he? Gee, very, he's powerful, powerful, wasn't he? Gee, he's he was got the
0: look of the next um sort of star Scottish back, um, which we see a couple of a yeah. couple of in recent years. But we also need to give credit to their engine room, um, which has been sort of a talking point in recent years, but they Packed punch, they they really did. Um, Rory Sutherland, Johnny Gray, Hamish Watson, um, you know, all of them, um, I think, recently have been absolutely brilliant. Um, they were great lying out, they were great at putting pressure on England. Um, they were great also at just forcing that penalty count higher and higher. Um, and really, actually, not just um, exploiting England's lack of attacking identity and fluency when it came to using the ball in hand, but also playing England at their own game. And I think it left England with a lot of problems, um, short, medium and long term, but they deserve huge credit for this performance. And again, it's not as if, it's not as if this was completely, completely out of the... It, it wasn't out of the blue. You know, Scotland... No, it wasn't. ...produced no. some brilliant performances no. in recent years. Ever since um, they've had their sort of turnaround from 2017, they've become a team that is absolutely far more capable now of um landing a punch than any rugby side. Mm. And they proved it here. They were, they were simply better. They were simply sharper. They have more of an identity, I think, both in the attack and defence. And, you know, I'm loath to make strong conclusions after just one weekend in the Six Nations, but they're going to have a big say in the title this year. They're going to have a really big say in where the title goes.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think they could do. And, and what it was so nice to see from a neutral's perspective, uh, I say a neutral's perspective, but everyone... Uh, honestly, as you probably know anyone outside England watching English rugby uh, against Scotland was backing Scotland uh, and and so but from a neutral perspective on a on a kind of a on a rugby appreciation scale, it was lovely to see Scotland hold on because there's so many times they've snatched defeat out of the jaws of victory you know a a brave plucky performance for 78 minutes only to be denied at the final hurdle kind of always is the way with Scotland and so it was so nice to see a Scottish team just keep the foot on the throttle keep progressing even though they made at the very end uh went back for a a drop goal which ended up being muffed and it was a complete disaster and gave England the ball with a minute to go and you just thought oh god here we go again um but but they held on because as you said the engine room was strong the defense was so brave uh and um yeah, it was so lovely to see Scotland, um, uh, you know, when it's like the little brother taking on the big brother in the back- backyard and the little brother wins, you know, and, that, and that's always a nice, you know, the underdog winning is always a great story. I want to just say about the English team, do you think, William, that the missing of uh, Joe Marler, um, Lawnsbury, um, uh, Villapolo, I mean, there were some big names missing out of the English pack um, and that they looked like they missed them, didn't they? <laughs>
0: Yeah, they did. Um, I, I mean, I think a bigger problem for England was just the fact that the absolute core of their side plays for a club which hasn't played much rugby at all um, over the last six months. In, in fact, it's coming up to the guts of more than half a year where England's yeah. fly-half, hooker, fullback. back um, number eight, and one of the two locks haven't played very much at all. Mara Toji was brilliant, by the way. He rassed and um, oh, he was.
1: clamped yeah. down on
0: Ali Price um, brilliantly. But aside from that, you could tell they has not had that game time. And I think, actually, it's going to be one of the interesting stories of the championship, um, which is how do England improve? Do they just improve for having more work into them? Um, d- do they just really improve week by week? Or um, do they never um, catch up to where other clubs and countries are at? You know, um, I know that Ireland's, for, for example, are lighter on their players and they try to reduce their game time and it's worked in recent years, but not to this extent. I mean, Will Jones make those changes? Will he bring in, say, Ford? Um, Lawrence had to, Ollie Lawrence, who started at 12, had to wait an hour for a pass, literally an hour um, for for his first skill on the ball. That's not sustainable for the rest of the Championship. Will changes be made? I I don't know. But um, there are a lot of hard decisions for England to make going forward.
1: Yeah. And then uh, the final game of the weekend on Sunday. Uh, was at the Principality Stadium in Cardiff, uh, where Wales took on uh, Ireland. And Wales came out victors 21-16 in a incident-packed game. A uh, really uh, interesting game. Um, uh, the first 10 minutes, uh, Irish flanker and, and general hard man, Peter Omani, uh, was sent off for a direct contact to the head via the shoulder um, when he was clearing out a ruck. Uh, did you see that, William? And and if so, what did you think of that I decision? saw it.
0: It was the right decision. It was the only decision. And um, in the end, it, it, it cost Ireland. In the end, I think it probably cost them the game. That is not to be disrespectful um, to Wales and the effort that they put in. Um, but I think it's hard to say that without that. On balance... Um, Ireland wouldn't have had enough for Wales based on what we saw for the rest of the encounter
1: Now I was talking to a friend of mine in New Zealand uh, after that game and he watched it and he said uh, that decision was ridiculous uh, uh, you know the, the, the guy was in the way he was cleaning him out um, that that was crazy uh, and and I uh, I could see his point but I can also see yours that and the rules are very clear. Any direct contact to the head uh, with, with the shoulder is uh, automatic grounds for um, red card. So, this is the changing face and nature of rugby. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, maybe even less, five years ago, you, that would not have been a sending off offence. That would just have been general play. Uh, and even actually, it was funny at the time, Wayne Barnes, the referee, when the player, uh, the Welsh player, um, Complained to the ref about it in the in the running as it was happening. Uh, Barnes looked at him and said, "It's just general play. Get on with it." Words to that effect. He he's would up, and so you could hear him say, "Basically, it's fine. Move on." He then got pulled back, Barnes, by the third official, um, the you know the video referee, to say, uh, "There's a case of foul play. You need to look at." Uh, even though Barnes was standing right there at the time. And saw the whole thing. He got pulled back to, to said, you know, this is a, a possible um, red card offense. He got the, replayed it and he had to pull the red card. And he looked to me a little, even a little bit sheepish, uh, at, kind of half apologizing to Omani, saying, sorry, but that's them's the rules. So it's, I'm not saying anything more than it's just the changing nature of the game. Uh, and, uh, but I'm saying that, that that wouldn't have been sending off offense a few years ago.
0: Yeah. Um there will always be people, there will always be strong opinions on this, right? Um, and it's, again, I'm not a qualified referee. It's difficult for me to say. But when I look back at the situation, both tactically and sort of morally, um cleared out a prone player. There was not an advantage to be gained with what he did. The ball did not move more quickly. You know, it was a fairly stagnant, situation. Were Ireland on the move and attempting to speed things up? Yeah. But there was no advantage gained from it. And also, um, I just refused to believe that somebody as intelligent as him didn't know the rule. Like like Rugby players have to be some of the most coached athletes on earth. Everybody knows the rule. Um, It's probably got to be one of the most analysed sports. Um, Not that every sport isn't. Um, So, i mean i can see people um, saying that you know they think it's a bit over the top or whatever and that that you know this sort of thing wouldn't have happened um, years and years ago but at the same time um is r- changing all sports change um you know look look at football you can't make yeah. changes now that you did 10 15 years ago um players have to adapt to that's why the professionals and, and i don't think there was an excuse for Romani did I, I think also i just want to say um, I don't think there's any excuse for the abuse that he's received, nor the abuse that Billy Burns received for his miskicked to touch.
1: Yeah, well, I want to get onto that too. Um, so um, so that obviously changed the nature of the game. I agree with you. He was a prone player as well. Just for the record, I thought, you know, it was a bit careless. Um, and, uh, and under the, as you say, the new guidelines of the game, uh, you know, against trying to, you know, Prevent head injuries. That that was a potential um, head injury situation. So, yeah. Um, moving on to the game, uh, the game itself I thought was an interesting game. Uh, Italy um, Ireland battled manfully with fourteen players uh, and really uh, stuck with Wales for for a good long time uh, and. Uh, some of the stand out performances from from the irish team uh, um, you know uh, wales there were some great stand up performances alwyn jones is just a just a legend that guy is just a monster uh, dan Bigger was was excellent uh, lee halfpenny uh, you know he's is always, always wales you always i like, always respect Wales they always turn up they play 150 percent every game they will die rather than you know uh, lose those, those guys they are just absolutely warriors the Welsh and I, and I love them for it um, Ireland uh, it was interesting to watch some of the new New Zealand ring-ins and I had a very interesting discussion with Jordan about this you know um, this is the way Ireland has decided to kind of go because it has to split its resources with other sports in Ireland, for example, GAA, uh, Gaelic football and hurling. So they they draw from a smaller player base. And so in order to try and stay at at the sort of top table of world rugby, they're trying to, you know, to bring in these players from overseas, uh, like the um, Jamison Gibson Park and uh, James Lowe, uh, both fringe New Zealand All Blacks, um, who couldn't quite make it to the All Blacks, have spent their time in Ireland, played the club rugby. It used to be three years um, citizenship, now it's five. Um, uh, you know, and turned out like Bundy, Archie, and, and you know, and and CJ Stander from South Africa, and they've done their time in Irish rugby, and and they're now playing for Ireland, and, and proudly so. Um, and it's I, I thought Jamison Gibson Park when he came on was a real breath of fresh air, and I think Conor Murray is a yard slower on his feet than Jamison Gibson Park. And I think that, that's an interesting dilemma for Ireland to look at. Um, I've, I've always rated Colin Murray as one of the best halfbacks in the world, but uh, I think he's starting to look a bit tired. Um, James Lowe, I thought, was, uh, it was excellent. And you didn't get enough of the ball. I think if that guy gets a bit more of the ball, he can start cutting up defences because he's just so quick off his feet. Um, Billy Burns at the end, I felt desperately sorry for the guy but you are the number 10 for that country. You're international number 10. Yes, you're thrust into the limelight, but man, you've got to stick that ball in the, on over the sideline. Even if it's a few 10 yards back further than you want it to be, you have to put that ball over the line to get that, uh, you know, just for anyone who didn't see it with, Two minutes to go, Ireland uh, had a penalty. They were still within um, striking distance in terms of a convert- converted try, would have won them the game. Uh, they had the, pen- the penalty. Um, Sexton had, 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 had a head injury, he'd had to be taken off the field. Burns, um, Billy Burns, this new um, standoff for Ireland, takes the ball, it just has to stick it in the corner and fails to find touch and actually sticks it over the dead ball line. Uh, referee's whistle blows, game over, done and dusted. Um, I haven't seen or heard about this abuse that you talk of, William, but uh, and that's, that sickens me that that's, that's happened. That's ridiculous. Um, but uh, what, what, what did you sort of take away from the last few minutes of that game? Um,
0: that Wales do have um, the fighting spirit in the camp that some were worrying about following a couple of incidents in the leaders of the game. The Ireland probably do have enough effectiveness in the attacking structures um, that they've implemented to win games in the Six Nations this year, I don't think there needs to be an immediate yeah. worry about um, where the next victory will come from. Um, I certainly think they've got enough to give France a lot of trouble, um, but but also I think one thing that we we, we may have learned, as you said, is that um, there needs to be I think a more immediate conversation about what to do about the halfback pairing. Um, because as you said, Jamison Gibson-Park looked a yard than Conor Murray. Johnny Sexton took another blow mm. on his head. It looked bad. Um, mm. Billy Burns, for we he may miss that kick to touch, um, had looked reasonably decent with the ball and out. And you also saw that Hugo Keenan had a very good game for fullback. Um, being used a lot as an auxiliary carrier Sort of going into that centre role, really pushing on, um, and I think you saw ways that Ireland could sort of change their point of attack. So, in a way, actually, their defeat has given them a lot of positives. It's just unfortunately very frustrating that they'll be without Mahoney for uh, well until the fifteenth of March, and that um, so in the end they did unfortunately lose, despite the fact that they actually probably finished the game stronger.
1: Yeah, I think they could have won it. I think they know they could have won it and but I agree with you, William, I think Ireland will come away from that and go okay, uh, we lived with Wales with 14 men for the best part of 70 minutes and uh, and we nearly had the game won. Uh, so uh, it' be as you say, a very interesting game against France next week so France take on uh, Ireland uh, mm. in Ireland, I believe. Uh, and Italy take on England. And and Scotland take on Wales, so you know uh, I think England, Italy is a walkover for England, and, but it should they should use that to obviously sharpen up their game time and, and get a bit more miles under the clock, as you alluded to. They probably haven't been playing enough, and it showed. Um, so that'll give them a bit of a run out, a bit of a hit out, as they say, and, and sharpen them up a bit. Scotland Wales will be fascinating because here's two teams who have got great back lines to run it from, who, who like to run it if they get the chance. I thought George North was immense as well against Wales and um, against Ireland, and um, uh, so yeah, I, I, that'll be a great game. And, I, and, uh, and if Scotland can see Wales off, then as you say, they're they're right in the thick of it. I noticed on Star Sports, I actually looked at the um, at the, the the odds as well because. Uh, Running Og- uh, Ogara, uh, a few. I watched a show a preview a few days ago before the Six Nations started. Everyone on the panel, bar one, was picking France. Then I talked to Jordan Murphy on Men in the Stand. He picked France. And at the st- before the tournament, England were two twenty, and France were three fifty. Uh, that switched around now. Um, France has moved to um, into two twenty, and and Fran- and and England have moved out to just over three. So it's an interesting switch around. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, I mean, if, if France can see off Ireland uh, on next weekend, then they'd have to be very firm favourites to take the whole thing, but it's not over yet. And it's a, and it's say it's max it for a fascinating tournament. It's lovely to see the six nations back on the screens. All right. Um, While we're talking about uh, uh, what was going on in in Ireland, um, there was also the Dublin Racing Festival um, last weekend. And what a fantastic festival. My God, it was great to see some great racing. Uh, Monkfish, um, as many people on Twitter now, uh, were calling now the best horse in training. Um, Kill Cruet, which he was just a monster uh, in winning the uh, the um, uh, the, bump, uh, the um, national uh, national hat hunt flat, and then um, Honeysuckle, who's always been a personal favourite of mine. I am very lucky. I saw Honeysuckle run in its first run ever in Ireland, and and it was uh, it was you know everyone was saying after that race, wow, uh, the way that that horse ran. I was standing in the bookies watching it and thought my God, that's something else, that horse is, is some, something else. And I've backed it ever since, so I'm very lucky because I just happen to be in the right place at the right time, which never usually happens to me. I'm always the guy that backs the horse that um, wins every other time and then I back it and then it loses. But this time, um, I, you know, as I said, I've followed Honeysuckle from the start and I'm, I've been a believer. And there were a few people saying before the um, race uh, that this was the one that Honeysuckle would come unstuck. And Tushaja, but not a bar of it. Just absolutely demolished them. Um, so, and there was a couple of others as well. I like latest exhibition. I thought was very brave against Monkfish, and I still, I still fancy latest exhibition for something, some sort of um, glory in Cheltenham. And I was on a, a, on on Party Central um, as well uh, in one of the flat races on um, on the Sunday, and I was so. Uh, I was disappointed because it lost by a neck, but I was really, really uh, impressed by its fighting spirit. So I think Party Central could be one to just keep on side as well. Do, what, what anything that you took away from the Dublin Racing Festival, William? Or any horses um, that you like? Agree to with off?
0: everything you said there. I think it's particularly interesting that Jamie Cod, I believe, rode Party Central. Yes. Um, yes, in yes, he the, did. mayor's bumper. Yep. Um, I mean, one thing also, Grangey. Um, was ridden by Jodie Townend to win that race um, and she was beaten all ends up by Eileen yeah. Dover trained by Pam Sly um, and the two clashed in a listed bumper at market racing that got a lot of hype at the time and Eileen Dover was absolutely um, on top there I uh, would agree with all of that Um think you're right on everything you said, couple of things um, from elsewhere, firstly um, hook-up uh, ran on really strongly in the Chanel Farmer novice hurdle. Now, I think Appreciate It was uh, much the best. He's the likeliest winner of the supreme novice hurdle. Um, for me, despite what Metier might do, um, I think he'll go a favourite and deserve to. I was impressed with Bally Adam, um, who, <clears throat> who just oh, yes, I will landed yeah. in the heap at the last, got cross-legged, stuck on really well. Think he might be each way valley for the Supreme. Um, Fort Blue Lord went okay as well. Somebody, I think it was Richie Shea at Richie Shea on Twitter, suggested putting a hood on him, which would make him very interesting for some for something like the Supreme if they went. Um, in the gold cup, the Irish Gold Cup, Ken Boy um, was deserved deserved winner, got a really good ride from Danny Mullins. Um,
1: Oh, yeah, wasn't that the impressive it performance? Was. That was um, awesome. He will yeah. be
0: really, really interesting if, as connections I suspect are doing, go to Aintree and Punchestown with him. Um When you went to Punchestown, uh, I think it was two seasons back. He was two seasons back. He beat Album Photo um, in a race famous, I think, for being Ruby Walsh's last ride. Um Elsewhere, men was just sensational in the Irish Arkle, and we have a hell of a clash to look forward to on Cheshkin. And whilst was brilliant in the Irish champion Hurdle, we owe Rachel Blackmore um, a big hand because that was a really good piece of tactical race riding. And it took some stones as well to do, given that the Hurdle course was riding a fair bit more testing than the chase course was. Um, She's headed to the champion now. That's going to be really exciting.
1: So, uh, uh, William, Epiton or
0: Honeysuckle, and the champion? It's a really tough one. My feeling would be to go with Epitone's, um, especially if there's a really end to end gallop with all of it. But, and I think this is really important to say, we can't discount Silver Streak um, in, in that reckoning no given how stark his improvement has been and given the fact that he's now run a number of races that have been really impressive on soft ground one one thing i think would be rather important though um if the ground at cheltenham came like it did last year i don't think silver street would be very um much helped by it at all Uh, i think if the ground came up softer no. then you'd give a new to to honeysuckle and Epitone, but it looks a really good um, one um let me ask the question of you shishkin or organ or again, I mean.
1: shishkin um uh, and and the reason uh, is i i don't really have one i, I just I, I just think shishkins i've been just so impressed by Shishkin Um, uh, and I'm going to give you an answer as well on the epitome it's not fair of me to ask you that without giving you my one on that my head says epitome my heart says honeysuckle and because I'm a romantic at heart I'm going honeysuckle because it shouldn't have beaten Benny the Jew last year and she did um, and, and I, there's something magical about that horse, Sonny, so thought, there's something, it's like a fairy tale, that horse. And I just, I, it just digs, it, it knows, it knows it's in a race and it loves it and it wants to do, and her and, uh, and Rachel, um, are just a, a partnership made in heaven. And, um, I just, so I'm. I'm gonna go with my heart um because honeysuckle wins be absolutely nothing at this stage so i'm gonna i'm gonna say that it rolls she rolls her he if it goes to the champions which is as you say with championship which it looks like it will um OK, let's uh, move on now. Uh, just let's touch on, I, I, I know, as you said, um, uh, we, we talked earlier and you said, look, I didn't have much to say about the golf. I'll just sort of round off the golf just as, as we're just going past it. Uh, it was two interesting tournaments in the golf last week. The uh, European uh, tour went to Saudi Arabia and it was another benefit for Dustin Johnson, who won his third Saudi international um, he just has to turn up there these days and, and just cash the check. He's, um, he's just class apart. Um, he was given a bit of a, a run early, early doors by, by a few players throughout the tournament, but he just crept his way up the lead ward. And over rounds two, th- two, three, and into four, you, you just saw him creeping up and thought, okay, this is as good as over. And sure enough, it was. He won going away. And he's, yeah, he's just too good when he's in, in, in form. Now, interestingly, he was meant to play this week at Pebble Beach. Uh, the at at People Beach starting on uh, Thursday. And he was pretty much the last, what you would call, marquee name in the field because it was a fairly weak field due to COVID and, and, and a lot of the players playing in a lot of tournaments over the last few weeks. They've take, decided to take a bit of a break. So the field was fairly weak. And they sort of said to themselves, well, at least we've still got DJ um, coming. And sure enough, as God made little green apples, he pulls out on Monday uh, and says, thanks, guys, but I'm too tired to make it. Which has made this field at the AT&T week really, really weak. Um, the, the only the marquee player now is number eleven in the world, Patrick Cantlay, who's still a great player. But th- there's no big names. There's no Rory's. There's no Zanders, There's no Bryson DeChambeau's. There's no Patrick Reed's. There's no Dustin Johnson's. There, it really is. Uh, uh, and and the betting goes. Um, uh, Cantlay, uh There's no John Rahm. Um, paul casey i think is is, is uh, daniel Berger, sorry his next favorite so um Berger, paul casey that's the top of the market in uh in, in a pga tour event and pebble beach which is a really prestigious event i mean pebble beach has always been the one of the sort of big tournaments of the year so uh it's a real big opportunity uh to go very wide in this tournament and look at some real value here because there are going to be some pros in this who are going to rub their hands together and say, I can do this. If there's any going to be a week that I could actually really get up to the top 10 on the leaderboard and make some serious coin, this could be the week. So, Look out for my preview. Um, it's going out on Star, Sport, Star Sports this um, tomorrow, uh, and I've gone fairly wide uh, you know, with that. Um, and, and I'm really interested to see what will happen at, at the AT&T this week. I think it's going to be a fascinating tournament. Uh, last week, Brooks Koepka uh, on Sunday won the Phoenix Waste um, Management uh, uh, Open or the Phoenix Open. I could not believe Xander Schofle, my tip, Absolutely stalled on his last run uh, on his last round. He was leading the tournament on the the Sunday. I thought this time, Xander, I've been tipping you forever, and he's always running second. And I thought today's the day he goes out and wins this. He absolutely stalled and did nothing. Shot an even par uh, to finish eighteen under. Brooks Koepka came from the other parish to uh, go around in 6-under in his final round and won on 19-under by one stroke. Uh, eagled it on the 17th on, a, on that remarkable, which is this is something I want to touch on briefly as well. It's a remarkable hole, the 17th. It's a very much a risk and reward hole. It's a drivable par 4 17th with water down the left. So if you get it wrong, you're in the drink. And if you bail out right, it's not an easy shot either. But if you get it right, you can pull up on the green right next to the pin and be putting for an eagle too. Um, Zen so Brooks Kepka uh, still behind at the stage uh, 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 or was he tied at the stage? No he's behind still behind at the stage, uh, drives the 17th um, and, and and goes a little bit right ends up um, going off the green. So he had a tough pitch shot uh, to get up to maybe try for birdie. He only goes and bins it and puts it and, and, and chips it in for Eagle, which then drove him right to the top of the leaderboard. Xander Schofle still had holes to go. So he had still had time to defend his lead. He played awful. The entire last round was playing awful. I was watching it through my fingers by this stage because I was just thinking, oh, my God, he's doing it again. Uh, and, and But he had time. And I thought, no, he'll do it. And what does he do? He birdies the par 3 16th, the big stadium uh, hole where they usually have the tens of thousands of people. Xander puts it right next to the pin on the, uh, on the 16th. And, and was crying out for a birdie and drains the birdie. So, well done. You think, OK, Xander, just close this out. Now, you've got the you've got this drivable 17th. You can close it out and, and then finish on par on the 18th. Bob's your uncle. We all go happy. What does he do? He stands up to the tee on the 17th and yanks it left, trying to drive the green, yanks it into the water. Tournament over. Game over. Everyone's well, the commentators are saying, oh, if he can just, he, he can pitch in here and he can still be there. And you just thought, no. It's over. And um, disaster. Can't believe it. Runs into second again. And um, I'm just, I'm not sure about Xander. That was a really confident, shaking moment for me with Xander. But nice to see Brooks Kepka back in the winner's circle. The week before, I was on my uh, golfing uh, podcast to- uh, uh, talking about the fact how absolutely stone cold he was. Uh, it, it, it just terrible. Brooks Kepka couldn't find a shot last week and, and, and then has the mother of all former reversals and wins, like, a good thing going away in the end. Um, so, yeah, uh, an amazing uh, an amazing wrap-up of, uh, of a very yeah, exciting absolutely. tournament. Whatever.
0: And just quickly, a question to end the podcast on, um, or two. Number one, is there anything Xander Schauffele has to change to kind of get over the line? And, and B, is it going to be a bit like... Is it going to be a bit like Richie Fowler? Or, or do you think there will be some sort of... Um, and that's not a hit at Ricky Fowler by the way, when I say Ricky Fowler I mean will he blossom eventually, even if he doesn't get a line major, or, or will there be a sort of continued stuttering with it? That's, uh, that's
1: a really good question William um, I don't, I'm, I please God I hope you're wrong, but it's a good shout uh, he has the danger of, of, of being that, but I don't, uh, no I'm going to say no, I'm going to say that Sanders had a bad day, uh, and he and he's got the cluster one. He's been all around it for the last few months, and uh, coming from behind this time for the first time, he was in front. And uh, and I haven't really caught up with his comments afterwards. He just stalled out badly, uh, and I'm going to write that one off. Um, so no, I'm going to say no. He's not. He's not going to do that. Um, and then just let's uh, finish, the, as you say, finish the podcast on on just. Uh, uh, just the premiership. I'm not going to run through all the games or anything like that. I just want to talk about this resounding um, victory, Man City 4-1 over Liverpool, um, which for, I mean, everyone, I mean, everyone's now basically crowning Man City um, premiership um, champions. What, what did you think of the game and, and and what do you think of the title race? Um, is I thought there one or is it deserved
0: over? I winners, um, even though the margin is a bit exaggerated. Um, mainly because Alisson gave away those two goals. And and I think it's just one of those things you have to put down to a couple of shockers. Maybe his defensive line could have helped do a bit. But, you you know, if you're giving the ball directly to Manchester City, I mean, it's sort of a cliche, right? Um, You know, like you're already sort of running up a hill when facing the moment. Um, This is putting a boulder on your back. Yeah. I don't see anybody stopping City now, to be honest with you. Um they they they've had their best run of the season, half of it without Kevin De Bruyne. Um and if anything, that they they seem just as comfortable, if not more comfortable, um, because the okay Gunda one is so good going box to box and Phil Foden has the freedom to run around, and Rodri is in his normal position doing a very quiet and understated thing. Whilst Cancelo comes into the midfield, and Eric Laporte is now playing left back. And this is all classic Pep Guardiola. Um, they have the deeper squads by a good margin. And, and if it's not the, I mean, Chelsea, I think you could say possibly maybe rivals them in terms of the sheer depth of players they can put into different positions. But they've got the most informed score by a million miles, and as for Liverpool, I think people they're not going to be, they're not going to retain their title. Um, and they will have to fight for the top four. but I would not write them and off just yet, because What
1: about men What about men united William are they, are they too inconsistent and a bit too far back? Just so I, I still give them a little quite squeak.:
0: White ready yet? Is the feeling I get from them. But I will say one thing. Yeah. going Solskjaer has proven yeah. he deserves to take the job, um, at least into the next season, the season um, possibly going on from that. They're a much more well rounded unit now. Um, I know that they've had some yeah. chaotic moments recently, um, including that three through draw against Everton when Dominic Calvert Lewin um, stole it at the very last moment. But. Over yeah, all, wasn't that amazing? much more yeah. side, much better side. Um, Cavani has proved to be a very shrewd buy. Big issue now for them. Mm. Um, well, Cavani, by the way, I should say, isn't the only player who deserves praise. Luke Shaw has been very good, Aaron Wan Bersaka has been very good. Scott McTominay quietly has become one of the Premier League's most effective midfielders. Whisper it quietly, but he really has. Um, we know all about Marcus Rash and, uh, and the great stuff he does on and off the pitch, but. I notice, and I think it might be the case, that Mason Greenwood and Anthony Martial get more confidence because they've scored a couple of goals recently. Their big issue and their big bump in the road is the fact that Paul Pogba is out for about six weeks with a five-string. This is big. This is really, really big. Are am going to say yeah. a big call to make. Is yeah, this a situation Donny van der Beek was made yeah. for? Okay, or so... are they going to go with Fred and leave everything to Bruno Fernandes? How that decision works out and which way he goes with it will probably probably decide the rest of their season.
1: I think that's a good summation, William. Because yeah, I I think you've shut down my. I was kind of eyeing them off, thinking, oh, maybe they're a bit of value to maybe run in and pinch it. But I think um you've kind of warned me off that a little bit. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think it is cities to to kind of to lose and, I th- and as I say I think they've, they've kind of got it done um, right well I think that's it I think that was a really uh, a good summation thank you very much for your time William I really appreciate it as always your uh, your insights are always great to listen to and um, we'll uh, talk lovely, again next week lovely
0: um, to be on and um, thanks uh, really very much for listening
1: uh, yeah so thanks everyone for listening uh, really really appreciate it uh, next week I'm um, working